morning, Rethink Church. Uh, my name is Abby, for those of you who don't know me, and if you are new or visiting with us, we would love to be able to connect with you after the service. And there's two ways you can do that. You can either come visit us at guest services. It's out by the One Cup Cafe there, and we've got a gift for you guys for being with us. Or you can connect virtually by texting the word here, the 219-233-2311. We're going to be going into the tithes and offering portion of our service here for just a minute. And one of the things we like to do is um, just talk about what God's doing in this church and through our church and through our people, because um, I think that's really important. And, you know, at the end of the service each week, if you are here long enough, you'll hear, for sure, hear Mark say the words, now go and be the church. Yeah. Because church is not just here on a Sunday morning. It's what we're doing throughout the week to serve our community and love on our community and bring hope to a broken world. And it was really neat because last week our church got to go and serve at a camp um, to just love on a local camp here in our community. Um, and it's just, you know, really tangible things like <laughs> vacuuming or moving picnic tables or what have you. But in those spaces, God can move and work um, and change hearts. And so the work that you do in that is really meaningful and really important. And there are so many different ways that you can show love to your community, whether that's um, you know, giving someone an extra big tip, smiling at people, not cutting people off in traffic, or being nice when someone cuts you off in traffic, or, you know, whatever that looks like, maybe it's just um, <coughs> saying something positive and speaking truth over someone's life, telling them that they're loved, telling them that someone cares about them. There are so many different ways to do that. Um, so if you want to partner with what God's doing here at Rethink Church um, financially, there are two ways you can do that. You can either give online at rethinkchurch.cc or you can give in person, we have a black box by the door. We're just really glad you guys have joined us this morning and we hope you enjoyed the message. Jesus, why are you doing anything today? Hmm? I mean, like when I read the Bible, I see you do these incredible things, you know, like raising the dead and healing the sick and feeding the 5,000. Right. Why doesn't that kind of stuff happen today? Well, Drew, things are still happening all around you. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Like for example, I'm thirsty and I want some water. Uh, do you have any water for me? Well, of course you don't. See, this is what I'm talking about. It's like you don't even care about me. No, Drew, things are still happening, even today. You just need to pay attention. Okay. Hey, Drew, I just I... went to the store and they're having a buy one, get one free. What? You want a water? Yeah. Okay, enjoy. Oh. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. Huh? Mm. That's great. That is great. Now, you didn't have the water. Right. Then you had it. Boom. I know, it's so lucky that Cat walked by, you know, with two for one. Did you say lucky? Well, yeah. No, Drew, you didn't have the water. Right. You needed it, then you had it. You see how that works? Huh? Oh, I huh? see what you're doing. Oh, I'm so rude, I'm sorry. Hey, Kathleen, thank you so much for the water. <laughs> Appreciate it. Now, would you show me something amazing? Amazing? Yeah, I wanna see amazing things, you know? Like Moses parting the Red Sea. That was amazing, right? How about the next time I'm stuck in traffic? I hit the steering wheel, the cars will split, and I cruise on through. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. I have a better idea. Keep your eyes open. Okay. I do. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Hey, you oh, uh, dropped your wow. wallet. Thank you. Sure, no problem. Okay, show me something amazing. Yes, amazing. of course. Right. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. You didn't take anything from my wallet. Whoa, 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 I'm not a thief, right? No. No, you dropped your wallet. I picked it up and gave it back to you. Droppy, picky, givey. No takey. I know. You know, thanks for your honesty. Here's 20 bucks. What? Wait. Hold on, she just gave me $20 for counteracting gravity? <laughs> That's amazing! Yes, that is amazing! Oh man, how awesome. Now, would you show me something big? Excuse me? Show me something big. Drew, 
How can I expect you to see me in the big things when you can't even see me in the little things? Sometimes we look at God and we see all these things that are going on in the Old Testament and the scriptures, and we're like, hey, what's going on? Why can't we have some of that? Uh, and then we go through life, yeah. right? And we see how God shows up, and we see how God does all these amazing things. And so for us, that is one of those things. And I saw this this or a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hey, I don't know when I'm using it. I don't even know if it's going time for my message. I really don't even care. You know why? Because there's no rules that says you have to do it. So, um, you know, what are you going to do? Like, take you to the principal's office? So, um, but anyway, so this is one of those things that's challenging for us as pastors, as people. Like, we want all these amazing things. And then when God shows up, and here's the beautiful thing about this when we say go be the church, that's it. You notice, like, how all that was connected. He wanted all these amazing things, and it was his people. And I really believe that God is moving in miraculous ways and in signs and wonders, but he's also releasing his church, right? When we say go be the church, it's not about just sitting here and then coming back next week at 1030. It's going out for 168 hours and doing whatever it takes to be the church in small and big ways. And so that's part of this process. And so uh, Heather and I had a great week. We got to go away for a few days. And then we invited our sons to join us at some point during the week. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but it was fine. They made it up there on their own and all of that. So, um, <clears throat> but we are in South Lake, Michigan, and what we noticed, and this is a couple weeks ago, I was in a coordination service, and I'm old enough now that I've watched three years in a row now, former students of mine who were like, I was their youth pastor, and now being ordained pastors, I'm like, I'm really this old. I'm like, what the heck? Um, I don't think I'm that old, but then I am. And so after three years in a row, I'm like, Great, this is what I get to expect from here. I'm not. I'm just going to get less hair in my hair on my head and all that, and then you guys are going to just get, get ordained. But uh, when I was in that conversation, I had some conversation, or in that service, I had some conversations with their friends and stuff like that that was a little concerning to me. Now, I don't get concerned when the world is the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. I get concerned when the world's values start influencing pastors, especially inside the church, especially in an ordination service. Now, it wasn't the actual person, like, the, the kid who got, the, not the kid anymore, but the young adult, I just put it that way, who got ordained and all that, had some solid uh, ideas and stuff like that, but it was conversations with his friends who I didn't know, um, that made me a little concerning, and so, then, after spending a week in South Haven, Michigan, which, by the way, bathing suits, like, uh, like, let's just revisit the idea of a bathing suit, moving forward, let's put it that way, um, like, I don't know, guys, we really need Speedos. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, yeah. And bathing suits should cover bits and pieces. I'll just put it that way. So if they don't, you should probably revisit that idea uh, and stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> but, but here's what we, what we kept saying is like, all, I mean, like, I counted it one day, and it was 24 times that I saw this shirt self love and uh, self care, which, you know, yeah, that's, we need that kind of stuff, right? But it reminded me of when I was a pastor in Michigan, I was full-time at a Toyota company. And then because of my schedule, I became like the pastor for like third and second shift people. So I had a lot of conversations at Sweetwater Donuts because they were 24 hours. Like I was a mug guy, does that make sense? Like, like I could keep my mug at the thing that they like had a rack and everything like had my name on it. That's how much I was there, uh, meeting with people throughout the week and stuff like that. And so it was awesome. 
And then when I do, I forgot to take my mug, so maybe it's still there, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a timeline or not. But, um, <clears throat> but I was either there or Denny's. And I would meet people who work second and third shift because Battle Creek, Michigan is a lot of manufacturing and stuff like that. Um, and then one of my other roles was I was a coach or pastor for small group leaders for high school students. So we had about 80 leaders uh, that, that were small group leaders for 8 to 12 kids through high school, 9th through 12th grade. And uh, my junior, one of my junior groups and one of my senior girl groups, their, their leaders came to me and said, hey, we're going through love God, love others, that whole concept. Um, love your neighbor as yourself, that whole idea. But the girls came to us and said, hey, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves when we don't love ourselves? And so they were rustling through this, right? And so I, like, I prayed through it for a while as well as my response. <coughs> and I said, okay, well, let's, let's go back to the words of Jesus. Let's not go back to the words of ideology, philosophy. Let's go back to the words of Jesus. What does Jesus say about this? And they're like, well, we don't know. And they're like, no, it's very clear. Jesus says, pick up your cross and die to yourself. So if we, can, if we make ourselves the center of the world, then we're the center of the world, right? And then we wear things that make us like self-love and all this other stuff. No, and everything is about us. And then it's reflected in how we drive. It's reflected in how we interact with people and all that. And if we only make ourselves the center of the world, and we're all just going to love ourselves so much. And so this is part of this process that we just have to kind of pause and I just want to relax, like, uh, just, just, just caution us. In a culture that is all about ourselves, and that, like, we want to be the center, we have to be, like, the commodity of everything around us. Let's just go back to the words of Jesus for a moment and say, what does Jesus say about this? And go back to here. And so uh, Heather goes to bed around 9.30 at night, and that's a late night for her. Uh, and so we are on Eastern time in South, South Haven, so uh, like 9.30 is basically 30 here, so she was basically asleep by 9 o'clock. I go to bed around midnight, uh, and so I'm sitting here going, awesome, great, now what? So I watched a lot of TV, uh, and it reminded me, like, have you guys ever watched Deadliest Catch? It's like the Bering Sea, crab, fishermen, and stuff like that, and the boats are swaying back and forth crazy. And like the guys on the deck were just like, yeah, this is normal. We just slide wherever we go, and it's whatever it is. Uh, and this one episode, the captain was talking about the water on the boat is not that big of a deal. It's when the water gets in the boat that it's a big deal. And what does Jesus say about the church? Paul says this, we need to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Like he, he used that analogy all the time about the end is, but don't conform to the world and all this. And it reminded me when I was in that ordination service, watching all of this together, and the, the world of self-love and all this, that sometimes the world's influence, just values, just kind of creep into the church. And that's what made me concerned when I was a couple weeks ago. And I got to this passage that we're going to talk to here in a moment, and it, it made me pause. Because here's the deal. When I see that, when I see followers of Jesus, especially part of Reaping Church, start acting more and more like the world, I want to argue, I want to like convince them, I want to like pull them and say, no, no. But then I get to this part where I see what Paul does here in Ephesians chapter 3, where we're going to read here in a moment. And I'm challenged because of what he does, which is not what I would have done. Does that make sense? Yeah. So here's where we're going to go. Like Paul's been addressing the, the identity of the Ephesians. He's going to address the calling of the Ephesians, which is going to influence the conduct of the Ephesians, and then eventually the conduct and the conflict, of the, which is Ephesians chapter 6. 
We spent a lot of time covering the identity of Paul is trying to get the church of Ephesus to understand like who they are, who Jesus calls them to be, and now they're calling. This is the hinge chapter about the calling. So we're in this, and let me just read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. He says this, Now for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on, on the earth is named. Basically, every, every father has a father, is what he's saying. I pray that, that he, Jesus, may grant to you according to the riches of his glory, that you'll be strengthened the power of your inner being through, the, through his spirit, and that Christ, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you be rooted, firmly established in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the length, the width, the height, the depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love from the surpassing knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond which all we ask him according to the power of the works in us, to him be the glory of the church and the Christ Jesus for all the generations forever and ever. Amen. This is where it got convicting to me at least, was that in a world where the church of Ephesus was starting to um, waver on their calling and their conduct and their identity, what does Paul do? Does he argue with them? This is what he does. He goes before God, and he kneels, and he starts to pray for them. As a pastor, this is a challenging moment. Because for me, I want to go argue, I want to convince, I want to say, no, no, come back, I want to like, do this, do the followers of Jesus, like you need to act like Jesus, and all this. And so, for me, when I see what Paul does here, what's he do? He takes the posture of kneeling. When's the last time you just knelt before God? Not like mentally abstract in your mind, like, oh yeah, God, I'm kneeling. But physically just knelt before God. And you took a deep breath in, and you realized that it was a gift from God for you to even breathe. This is what Paul is doing here. The Hebrew word is barak here. And it's not an abstract word. Uh, this is laced all throughout the scriptures. You see it in Psalm 95, verse 6. Here's what it says. Like, Come, let us lay down our bed. Let us bow down and worship and kneel before the Lord our God and Maker. Whenever we see the word of worship, a lot of times it can, it most likely is translated as Barak. They're not just like within their mental and intellectual minds worshiping God. They're physically going through something. You see kneeling or sometimes they like lay down face down on the ground, which is a different word. Well, Paul, what Paul is writing here is saying, whenever I saw the conflict, what's he do? He goes before God. And he, and he just worships God. In a, in, a, in a world where the church can argue and like question Jesus, and this is where it gets weird, like, um, <clears throat> and, and, like when the world doesn't act like the, acts like the church, whatever, that's fine. When the church, however, starts to question Jesus and the words of Jesus, that's where I get a little concerned. Does that make sense? Like, as a follower of Jesus, can you actually disagree with, disagree with Jesus? Think about that, right? If Jesus says this, can you be like, mm, Jesus, actually, this is my world, culture, and all this. Like, you don't understand this because you lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus is like, yeah, seriously, I get it, right? Um, but this is the world that we live in. This is the church culture that we live in. And instead of convincing, arguing, and begging the people, what does Paul do? He kneels. And he prays. Parents, at some point, your kids are going to rebel. If they haven't already. 
and some of the other. They're, they're, they're pros at rebelling, right? Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do, which is almost countercultural for everything in me, but this is what I've had to learn. Pray more than argue, beg, borrow, convince, and everything. And what do you pray for? You pray this passage over them. You pray that they would understand and know God's depth, the length, this height of his love, and the fullness of Christ. Because here's the deal. If your children or the people around you understand all of that, then it kind of solves the issues that they're going through. The behavior that you're seeing typically as kids rebel are symptoms of something else. And when you start praying over this and start praying through this passage, God, God loves your kids more than you do. Right? Like, don't worry about it. Just he'll, he'll go after your kids more than you will. Because um, also, guess what? At some point, you've rebelled or you are rebelling. And God wants you to know his depth, his, his width, and his height, and his love, and all of that. Um, and so, Paul talks about this, and this, he says this reason. Now, I'm going to go back. Don't worry. We're not going to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter, or Ephesians chapter 1. But we're going to go back a little bit. Here's what this reason means. What, what he's saying this reason, here's the reason. I'm going to remind us of this. It says this, in Christ we have been the boldest, the confident access through faith in Jesus. So that when you ask, you're not discouraged about my, like Paul's talking about his actual condition here. Where he's arrested, he's under house arrest, and he's like, I'm enduring all of this for your glory. It's okay. For this reason, meaning that he can go, like we have the access to, to God's throne through faith in Jesus. Not through our political parties, not through our wealth. Not through the sports teams that you like or don't like. Not through the idea of, you know, should Notre Dame join the Big Ten? Like, whatever your opinion is, doesn't really matter. If you have faith in Christ, you have access to the throne. Does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you think LeBron is better than Michael. It doesn't, like, Jesus says, no, no, like, you can be on the wrong side of that argument and still have access to God. Because it all begins with your faith in Jesus. And this is where, like, you just have to have this confidence. This is a practice that I've been doing for about a couple months now because it's so easy to get consumed by the events of this world, right? A couple months ago, I just started realizing, you know what? The world's going to happen no matter what my opinion is, whether I know about the event or not. And so what I started doing was I started just letting the things go, and I turned to all, all notifications to different text messages from Heather on my phone. That's probably a good thing, right? So, and I guess the boys. Um, but I actually started scheduling time for me to look at the news. Like a couple times a week, one towards the beginning of the week, one towards the end of the week. But other than that, I really don't care. And here's the deal. Like my life continues. The world events continue. But I don't have to get pulled away from undistracted from every little thing because, oh, here's a quick notification. Um, and I can still say, you know what? I'm okay with this. Because like, my allegiance to whatever political agenda is not what gives me access to the throne room of God. It's my faith in Jesus. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus that Jesus, you have this more than I do. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, whatever the events are going on, and so it just felt like, like wait, I, I feel like I'm more in step with Jesus when I do this. Because when I don't, I feel like I get distracted. Like, oh, I love you, Jesus. But, oh, did you hear about this decision? Did you hear about that? Did you hear about all these other events? And so, it's, now, I grew up in a church, and like when I was being taught to be a pastor, I should say, 
that you should read the scriptures in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand. And you always need to know how to like marry the two. And which is a great idea idea. The problem is I felt always like leaning towards the news and that. So I was like, I've studied the Bible, I got this down, right? But like Jesus, this war in Iraq or whatever the event was, like this is the main thing that needs to be understood. And I found found myself just like being distracted and pulled away. And then eventually worried about do I know enough about this event? Yeah. And like, is my opinion the right opinion? Instead of like, actually, let's go back to the scriptures and I'll just check in on this. Now, I'm not saying like isolate yourself and ignore the world's events and all that, but don't let it be the thing that consumes you. It's your faith in Jesus that gives you the access to the throne. Like, not your right opinion about these world events. So get centered and grounded on that. And that's what Paul says. So in this moment, uh, we have to go back to this and just go back to this and, and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kneel before God and I'm going to pray. And that's where my, 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 my comforting confidence comes from. I was reading, I read a Eugene Peterson book. He has advice for younger pastors. Younger for him is anyone under like the age of 90. So there's that. But he's a, he's a brilliant, was a brilliant man in, in this, how to be a pastor. And so I go back to him about like wisdom and stuff like that. And he's, he's a, a great reminder for me, because if you look at church world, just go back to the, like the, church world about how to be a better leader, how to lead all this stuff and stuff, and you'll see more leadership books than you will about anything else. And so this new, like, I don't know how to nicely say this, I'll just say it. Um, this new trend of being a pastor is all about how you lead well. And if you're, you could be a great leader and not be a great pastor, but in the world's eyes, being a better leader is, being a great leader is better than being a poor pastor. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. And so, uh, for me, Eugene Peterson just draws us back to what the scriptures actually say about being a pastor. Yeah. Now, the latest business trying to work. And so, um, there's my two cents, so you probably didn't get my agenda on that one. But, uh, but Eugene Peterson says this, basically, to love, to preach, to care for, to serve, and to pray for your community. And for his already, for encouragement for the, um, for the young pastors, basically, when people don't do it, like what you want them to do, or they leave your church and stuff like that, don't try to convince them, just pray for them. And just love on them. And this has been like one of the things that like Heather and I have planted our church is like, God, we're just going to continually like pray for our people, and we're going to love on them, we're going to serve them, we're going to treat them like friends no matter what. But if we have to try to, if, if our church grows and falls because of our argument and convincing sake, basically screw it. You know what I mean? Like, because we're just going to trust God that he's, he's got this. And so we're just going to constantly do this. And so this is what we've leaned into, saying we're going to love, and we're going to pray for, and we're going to care for, uh, and all this. When I was being ordained, I had to get, uh, had to go through these interviews, basically. It was like, this is my intellectual ideas, like, that I answer the right questions correctly, and then I would go interview, and basically explain and defend my behaviors, my schedule, and my ideas, and my answers on these interviews. And so... Um, it reminded me of like young Jedi's going before the Jedi Council um, and stuff like that. And so I would like I would sit there and I would like it was me and it was like a half circle. It'd be better if it was like in the round, by the way, because then you don't know the person like all that. But anyway, so I'm like sitting there as the person in the hot seat, and I got asked this question by this guy named Chris Downs, who's a who's a doctor, a teacher at uh, Indiana Wesleyan, or maybe Asbury now. I don't know where he has. Uh, where he is now, but he was very new to our district, and he asked me this question. To be a more successful pastor, which is more important, preaching or your prayer life? 
And I wasn't wise enough to ask him what he means successful pastor, because that would be a whole different rabbit trail that we could go down. But looking back, I should have. Um, if you would have asked me this now, I'm totally even. What's, what's Argus? What's a successful pastor? Uh, but I told him very early on in my, in my, I was probably 22, 21, somewhere in there, uh, that preaching is the most important thing to being a, a successful pastor. That like my, my idea of taking the scriptures and executing the, the passage, understanding the passage, that's the most important thing to doing all this. And some of the younger pastors on the, the, the DVMD, basically the Jedi Council, they're all like, hey, yeah, we get you. The older pastors didn't say anything, but they just gave me that knowing look. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you've like, probably seen this with the other people. And Chris Bounds, who had been a pastor for a long time, just was like, mm, stroke. Like, he had like a little soul patch right here. He's like, mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, it's weird to have a soul patch thing. But anyway, like, can't get distracted. I was like, laser focused on this one. I was like, my ADD kicked in all the time in these things. Um, but I said, it would be focused. So, uh, I remember just sitting there going, like, what's this? Like, why are all these older pastors just staring at me going, mm -hmm. 10 years in, I changed my mind. Um, 10 years in, I was like, yes, prayer is way more important. Here's what I have to say about this. Like, I, like, I had to change my schedule in even the last few years here. Uh, I, I grew up and I was at a, uh, the, it's called homiletics, uh, class on how to preach. They said that preachers, uh, senior pastors, should give no less than 40 hours a week in a sermon. I was like, that's a, there's a kid here, I can't say that, but that, that's like a lot of time, right? Um, that's just way too much time to give to a, a sermon. But then I remember thinking like 20 hours, and if you like really dig into the scriptures, you can easily spend that. And even nothing else to do but to preach a sermon, you can do that, right? But then are you preaching, are you a pastor? Or are you just a nice little lecturer person? So how do you know your church? How do you know your people? How do you do all this? Uh, and so I started like, I started thinking, yeah, 40 hours is it, but then I started realizing there's other things than just being a preacher or a pastor, like, there's other than speaking. And so, uh, just so you guys know, I get probably 8 to 10 hours a week on sermons. Like, I'm diving in, I'm just doing this text and all that, I'm not like, ignoring any of that. <laughs> but at the same time, what I started to realize is that as much as I prepare for a sermon, I need to pray just as much. And so this is my, like, it's the most challenging thing, because I don't know about you, but like 15 minutes into a prayer, I'm like, okay, that I'm done. Right? Uh, 30 seconds some days, just to be honest. Like, I'm like, okay, God, I, I said all the things I have to say, now what? Right? Have you ever sat down trying to, like, pray for, like, something? And you're like, okay, God, now I just said all the things. Um, yes. What else you got? Right? You want to talk about the sky today? How about Notre Dame? How about, like, what else you want to talk about, God? Right? That's some days, but it, but here's what I've had to realize is that like going back to the time when I was coaching small group leaders or being a pastor of small group leaders, is one of the things I had to remind them is that you're going to take your the names of your your, your students every day to God. You're going to pray for them by name, and you're going to, like if you don't if you can't do that, then don't try to be a small group leader. Don't try to love on them. Don't try to like this is one of the very basic things and. And now I, this is what I get to do. I pray the people of our church by name before God. On a daily basis, I say, God, will you bless this family and watch over this family? You got to give these parents wisdom. God, as people step into this kind of a new chapter of life, will you like watch over them? And, and when I pray for them, I'm not like pray for you guys by name. 
Yes, I bring up physical ailments, but I'm not going to pray about your bunions and your hemorrhoids and all that. Like, <laughs> your big toe. Here's what I am praying for you. I'm praying this passage over you. I'm praying by name. Here's some, some like, relevant situations going on in their lives. But God, I pray that they know your love. And I pray that they know how well, how deep, how wide, how vast your love is for these people by name. And so I see this as one of the more important passages about this uh, and this reality of it. Because here's the deal. If we, if we know all the knowledge, we don't understand God's love, what's the point? Right? And I've been a pastor long enough where I've heard people blame me, blame the church for why they weren't rooted. Paul talks about this in this passage. That, God, that Paul has the idea that he wants us to be rooted in God's word. And I've been long, here long, around long enough that, that I've heard the, the reality of like people saying, well, if the church would have had this program, then I would have matured my faith with Jesus. If the church would have had this particular blah, 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 or if I would have done, now, don't get me wrong, I could be a better pastor. I'm not saying that. And we don't have, it's not that we don't have room to grow as a church, but, but people tend, like perpetual waivers on God, like tend to blame others. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and I think that God, because I've wavered on God too, uh, but I've realized that God wants us to be rooted in this. And so uh, when we talk about the idea of being rooted, there's a passage, a parable that Jesus talked about. We've talked about this before. We're not going to get right back into Matthew full force, so don't worry about that. But Matthew chapter 14, Jesus tells this parable about being rooted and the effects of being rooted in this. And he talks about a sower sowing seeds. So this guy who's like basically throwing seed out into the field. No. Raj is going to put up a picture. There we go. Uh, so we have two, two seed or two fields going on here. On this side, you have wheat, basically, and the other side, you probably have some kind of beans. Uh, this is my friend Brad Gray, took this two years ago when he was in Israel. And in the middle of it, you have this rock pile, right? And so you have weeds and thorns that grow up within these rocks. Now, the reason the rocks are there is that the farmers from each field, because it's two different farmers who own this field, they will go through there and pick up all the rocks, and they're like, instead of carrying it somewhere else, just put it as a divider wall right here, basically. So it becomes this, this natural way of dividing. So um, I don't know if you've ever read that parable of the sower where the guy's like throwing seed, and you're like, dude, seriously, can you not just throw it in the rocky? Like, how can you not throw this? How can you not just like say, oh, here's a good field, and throw my seed right there, right? It makes a little bit more sense. But until you realize, like when we were in Israel, we watched this guy sowing seed, and he just grabbed in, and he's just like throwing it like this. Like the volume of the coverage is more important than like the particular thing. So, um, so here you go. You have all these different paths and parts of this, this thing right here. So you have rocky places, you have the thorns, you have this path. Because instead of walking throughout the entire field, they would just walk along the rocky parts and the like between the rocky part and the the field itself, right? <laughs> and then you have the good soil, soil right? So going back to this parable, what Jesus says is that when it's not rooted and, this, and the, the, the seed grows and it starts to grow up into the thorny areas, the thorns of this world will choke out the plant, right? The rocky places has no like actual way for the roots to grow. And in the past, it's just going to get walked on by the, by the farmer. But in the good soil, Matthew talks about this, that the harvest will be a hundred times full, right? Now, in between the harvest seasons, there's a couple things that the, the farmer has to do to get ready. The first thing that they do is they go and they have these controlled burns. And they get rid of the thorns and the weeds and all this, and they just kind of get the field ready for the next, the next planting season. Which, there's two to three planting seasons in Israel. 
small farms. They're not doing these massive, you know, hundreds of acres. Small farms are trying to get as much things as they possibly can in different plains and different seasons and all this. And so they're in there and they're doing this. And so as they let the ground rest for a little bit, they go in and they can do a control burn. The next thing that they do after they've burned off the top layer of the soil, the thorns and all that, is that they go through and they get the rocks out. And that's where they throw them in the middle of that. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm not a farmer, so I don't really know this, but I always like, hey, you got the rocks out last season. Why don't you have to go out the next in the rock and get the rocks out this, this upcoming season? You just did it a couple months ago, right? Now, anyone ever farm, garden, or anything like that? Do rocks just continually come up no matter what? Yeah, this is what happens, right? So here's the deal. If you and I want to experience Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, if you want to have this hundred times fold of like, God's word in our life, we, you and I have to do this. You have to go through your life and you have to burn away the things that are worthless. That don't hold up to God's word. And whatever's there, you have to do it. You have to, you have to go through this process. Now, is God going to make you do this all the time? No, but he'll ask you to do it. He'll invite you to do it. And the other part that we have to go through is we have to go through our soils, right? the condition of our soil. Several years ago, the boys and I were in our backyard. We had this massive thing of concrete when we first moved into the house, and we have no clue what it was there for. We were like, we just need it out of here. Does that make sense? Like, you ever have those situations? So we realized that all three of us couldn't pick it up and move it. So I got a sledgehammer, and we started just busting the stupid thing up. And then we dug, like, more of it out. Uh, to the point where the boys think this is the funniest part, where I split my shorts as I was doing this. And so they all died laughing. I didn't really care because I was like, let's just get this done. And I'm like sweating at this point. It was dead in the summer and I'm just like pouring the sweat and Heather's like, are you gonna change your shorts? I'm like, why, they're already ripped. I'm like, why rip another one? Just, you know, don't really care. You know what I mean? So I'm out in the backyard, we're doing it. And as we're like finishing this up, I remember hearing God, like, remember hearing God just whisper this to me. Are you willing to work this hard to remove the things in your life that are holding back from are you willing to sweat, break all of this up, split your shorts, and all of that, just so I could bless, like literally give you a hundredfold of, of my word in your life? Mm-hmm. Now, when we think about a hundredfold harvest, we're thinking financial blessings usually, right? It's not what God says. The effects of his word in your life should make us more like him, not more like what we want us to be. Mm-hmm. This is the goal. God, Jesus is the standard. And we just have to keep looking and comparing ourselves to Jesus. And so this is one of those ideas that we just have to keep going through. And I just remember hearing that one, like saying, God, I do. Yeah. I want to work as, as hard as I possibly can. So that can be many barriers and obstacles that would keep you from multiplying your word in your life. And your truth in my life. And all of that. And so I would just encourage you. You may have done this one time. But that doesn't mean it's done. Those rocks will just keep coming back up. And there's seasons of this where you burn away things in your life and you say, okay, God, here it is. And here's the deal. I know this to be true, that I can't burn Mike's field up and I can't go into Mike's life and say, dude, this is rock, let's get rid of it. Unless Mike asks me to do it. Does that make sense? And if somebody did it in your life, you'd probably get a little mad. Now, that doesn't mean we don't confront people in truth, right? And in love and in all this. But at the same time, I don't have permission to just go out and just make you a robot and clone myself. Mm-hmm. And be like, dude, this is a rock for me. This has to be a rock for you. Maybe it's not. Right? We need to just assume these things. 
Unless you're disagreeing with Jesus, then that's a whole different story. I'll let Jesus deal with your life, not mine. Uh, not me. So, this is part of that process. But just because you've done it once doesn't mean you're not going to have it again. And there's a passage in Ezekiel 36 where, where God talks about, like, there will be a time where God's whole spirit will be in a man's life. Like, in one person. And every, like, the people of the day thought it was impossible. They're like, no way. There's no way that can happen. And then Jesus shows up, and he lives for 30 years or so, and he gets baptized in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him and fills him with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, people that are around are like, oh, we knew this. We can recognize this. And then there's a time where Jesus says, no, it's going to be better off if I leave, and I'll send my Holy Spirit down here. And, and he'll, he'll fill you and lead you, right? And people are right. Like, no, like, the disciples are like, no, Jesus, don't leave. We, we need you. And then the day of Pentecost happened, right? There's a time where uh, the people of, of people of Jewish, like the Jewish followers of Jesus were like, no, no, it's only for the Jewish people. And then all of a sudden, Peter is standing in this house in Caesarea with Cornelius and his whole household who were Gentiles at Roman Centurion, and Gentiles were being filled by the Holy Spirit. You may think it's impossible that God wants to multiply something in your life, but time and time again, God has shown up and done this for you. Let me just read this passage again as we come to a close. Uh, Lisa and Russell are going to come up and lead us in worship. But I just want to read this over you as a prayer for you, what God actually has in store for us. I, Paul, kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I pray that, he may, that Jesus may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened and powered in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend all the, with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love surpassing knowledge so that all may be filled with his fullness. God. Jesus, we come before you, and we pray that that is, we, we acknowledge that that is our prayer. That God, we would know you. That we would know your love for us. And the goodness that you have for us. And Jesus, we hope that we don't look more like ourselves. But when we are filled with the fullness of God, that we will look more like Jesus. We trust that you're going to lead us and guide us. And as we get ready for the conditions of our soil, there are going to be times when you ask us to literally get rid of things that are holding us back and remove the rocks that are in the soil. That God, we would be rooted in you. We love you, God. Continue to pray this.